seriously popular. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now the trial of the NHS nurse Lucy Letby is continuing at Manchester Crown Court. She wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for nine months. The prosecution and defence have finished outlining their cases and the jury will shortly be asked to decide whether Lucy Letby is guilty or not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So the jury were sent out last Monday afternoon to consider their verdicts after this nine-month trial. They've been told by the judge, Mr Justice Goss, to take their time and not to feel any pressure. They've also been told to try to put emotion aside when considering their verdicts. Regular listeners will know that the babies in this case are not being named for legal reasons and the identities of their families are also being protected, so we're calling them Babies A to Q. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Every one of these babies is someone's son or daughter. And the mums, dads and families of every baby have been present in court listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. Today, well, we wait. Welcome to episode 46, Waiting and Watching. So Liz, the evidence in this trial has been outlined. The defence and the prosecution have had their say and so has the judge. So now it's up to the jury to come to their decisions. And just to give you a bit of a sense of what's happening at court now, a week on from when the jury first started their deliberations, the police, the families of everyone involved, 
the barristers and the journalists are all in or near to the court. And that's because we have no idea when the jury will be ready with their verdicts. And when they are ready, we won't be given very much warning. We'll all just be called back into court. So for now, we're all nearby and we wait. Every week we've explained that we won't do anything in this podcast to put the integrity of a fair trial at risk. And that's even more important now the jury are out deliberating. Which means this week the podcast is a bit different because we won't be discussing what's happened at court or the evidence we've already heard. So what we've got this week is a really great interview with someone who's had years of experience of court reporting and is now training the court reporters of the future. You know, Liz and I feel really strongly about the importance of court reporting, so Polly Rippon from Sheffield University is the perfect guest. Plus, she's an avid fan of the podcast, and she started by telling us why. I thought it was a really innovative way of reporting from the courts. It's, I don't know that it's ever been done before. And I just found it really fascinating. And obviously, I teach a court reporting module at Sheffield Uni and my students were just about to go to court. So, you know, I've encouraged them to listen to kind of find out, you know, how you do report from an ongoing trial. What's their fear or what's your fear of sending them to court for the first time? Well, they've all passed exams, the NCTJ exams in media law and court reporting. So they know their contempt of court, they know their defamation, they know about reporting restrictions and the rules that govern court reporting. But saying that, going into a courtroom for the first time is quite frightening and intimidating, particularly if you're in the Crown Court and you've got, you know, judges, barristers, lots of people busy rushing around looking important. For the students, it's really quite intimidating and they do get very nervous about going to court. So we've been trying to kind of prepare them for that experience and explain to them, you know, how you report a court case, how you report a trial, how you report a sentencing, that kind of thing. When you're younger, journalists, definitely, you have to be quite brave when you walk into that courtroom and sit on the press bench. It's easier for a young journalist to get a bit fobbed off or feel like, oh, I'm not in the right place. Whereas more experienced ones will obviously just, you know, know they can be there and know they can ask the prosecutor questions and But yeah, I think it's invaluable, really, if you're going to want to do some kind of court reporting that, you know, if you you do do that before you qualify. We have had a couple of situations where they've been told they can't take notes. One student had her notes confiscated by an usher. Luckily, she was quite vocal and she stuck up for herself. And I sent her relevant criminal practice direction saying she was allowed to make notes in court and the court relented. That's quite scary when you're kind of 18, 19, 20 and you've never been in a court before and you're being told, no, you can't take notes. But you're right. It's a public space that you are fully entitled to walk into and sit down in any room. And yet it feels the most intimidating thing ever. And I don't know about you, Polly, but when I was when I worked at the Echo in Liverpool before I worked at the Mail and when I was in Liverpool Crown Court a lot, you see the same faces in the public gallery. I mean, there's quite often retired people who basically just go to court. At Leeds Crown Court, there was a wonderful woman who used to go every day. She was so glamorous. She'd sit there with her makeup and her hair done. And she was a court watcher at Leeds. And she she was there and she would be a great person to ask if you're a journalist and you're trying to find out, oh, you know, where shall I go today? What's on today? And then at Sheffield, there was a lovely character called Andrew, and he was the court watcher at Sheffield. And he knew all the judges, all the barristers, 
They all called him by his first name. They were lovely to him. He was so popular. And in COVID, he died, unfortunately. And there was an online eulogy for him. And there were about 300 people on the team's call listening to this eulogy for Andrew, who had made his name as a court watcher, just sitting in court every day, listening to the cases. He was a fountain of knowledge. He was amazing. Often when people ask me about like my job and I say, oh, I do a lot of court reporting, it's like real life drama. I say that to the students. You can go down there and sit around for hours. And then when a jury comes back in to deliver a verdict, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife yeah. and it's worth waiting for. I still get real kind of like not in my stomach. You can't help but be kind of affected by it when you sat on the press bench. The culmination of those weeks and months of evidence and you know, at some point you will get your verdict. So, yeah, that would be quite a, a big moment, won't it, I think. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. In terms of your young journalists, Polly, and the people you're, you know, sending out into the world as, as young trainees, are they interested in court? In terms of the students who've just been going to court, a lot of them have come to me and said, Wow, it was really exciting. It surprised me how interesting it was. Then you got the other end of the scale where they find it quite upsetting. They struggle listening to graphic details. And a lot of people do struggle with it these days. I mean, when I was younger, I just went and did it and I didn't really bat an eyelid. It was just part of the job. But I think the younger generation coming up are possibly a bit more sensitive about listening to that kind of material. And that's why, you know, we've done a lot of work to prepare them for it. But yeah, I mean, it's a shame. The judge actually at Sheffield Crown Court did say on a visit that he actually said to them, please become court reporters. He says, I never see court reporters in court. You know, there used to be someone every day. Now we see them once or twice a week. And he really, really still wanted journalists in court to cover, you know, the decisions that they're making. You know, that's that's interesting you said that because my local court is Chester Crown Court and the recorder of Chester, Stephen Everett, when he first got appointed, it was probably two or three years ago now, basically said, will you come and have a chat with me in my chambers? Because how do I get more journalists here? And they do. They want them covered because, well, we've talked about this before on the podcast, that it's a snapshot of real life and judges do 
want court reporters there and and often you know as much as journalists moan about restrictions being put on cases judges want open justice it's rare for a case to have a lot of restrictions like the case that we're doing at the minute in general judges want transparency and they want journalists to be able to report faithfully what's going on in their courtrooms it is a bit sad the demise of court reporting but maybe it'll take something like our the way we're reporting it to, to engage people a bit better i hope so i mean it's a it's a really interesting way of doing it it might reawaken an interest in what goes on in those courtrooms up and down the country day in day out you know there are hundreds of cases happening every week that go unreported when i was at the star we had i went to crown court every day but we didn't really have many trips to magistrates you know so there were a lot of stories there that just aren't going reported anymore and it's a real shame it's true certainly at magistrates it's much more a snapshot of society i don't know that the justice system makes it easy for editors and journalists to cover court cases i think they could be speedier Mm. It, it does take you know a lot of investment of time you can't always lose a journalist for a day it is slow and you've got to invest the time in it. I think it's worth it. But freelancers have gone from courts because they weren't getting paid enough. So big cities, I think, you know, so the Echo still do. The MEN are there a lot at Manchester Crown Court. But, you know, big court, like outlying courts, especially in London, obviously the Earl Bailey's covered every day, but outlying courts like St Albans and Southwark, where, you know, unless you know about a specific case, I don't think there's court reporters stationed there. I agree there's be hundreds of stories that'll be missed from from those courts. Sheffield's a great patch though, Polly. What were some of your biggest stories that you covered when you were on the star? Well, I was just looking back actually, because I mean I started in Wakefield and I was a trainee and I remember the first case I went to was a, a case that went national. It was on the front page of the Daily Star for about a week. And it was my first experience of a Crown Court trial. It was a woman who was um, an escort and she she murdered her lover with an axe. And I remember going to a press conference when his body was found and then going to Crown Court. And it was my first experience. And a lot of the evidence was about their relationship and about the weird sexual things that he wanted her to do. And I remember going to that and sitting in front of me was his mum, who was in about her 80s. And I sat there and listened to this stuff and she was hearing it all as well. I mean, I've still got good friends that I am in touch with from that time. And we were all trainees. It was in 2000. And we still talk about that case now. Then I moved to Sheffield. I did a series in about 2010. South Yorkshire Police set up a cold case review team. And they investigated a series of historic sex crimes from South Yorkshire, from the force area, dated back about sort of 20, 30 years. And these were all all kind of rapes and sexual assaults that had been unsolved. And what they'd done is they'd taken the evidence from the time and it had been archived. They'd set up this team, gone down to Birmingham and pulled old files out of the archive, brought them back up to Sheffield and went back through them. And any of them where they had kind of DNA from the scene, so, you know, sperm samples from the crime scenes. They ran the the DNA through the national database to see if those men had offended in the interim period. And in a lot of cases, they had done. So that team of detectives managed to put 11 men behind bars for over 100 years. 
It was fascinating. I went with them to the forensic science service. You know, I looked down a microscope and looked at some of the samples. I spoke to the team. I interviewed some of the victims. And obviously, these are women who'd been attacked 20 years previously, who thought that their attackers would never be caught. Women whose lives had been absolutely ruined. I mean, there was one woman, I remember her saying, you know, every time I go out in my car, I look to see if a man driving in the other direction is the person that attacked me. You are quite privileged as a journalist, aren't you? Like you said, you got the police said, oh, come with us to the forensic science lab. You know, who who would get that opportunity unless you were like, you know, reporting on it or, you know, writing a story about it? You do get opportunities, don't you? You think, well, I'm giving the public an insight into this. I mean, fascinating opportunities and for police services and forensic science services and, you know, CPSs who kick in and and get why inviting journalists along on that journey can really help to tell their story and how hard it was or how difficult it was. And, And you're right, Liz, that journalists who get into the weeds of that, it's a really great job. But also, whenever we speak to the police, a lot of the time what they talk about is making sure that the community has faith in them and what they do. And by them going back and solving those cases 20 years later, like you said, Polly, these women had probably given up hope that the perpetrator was ever going to be behind bars. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the other thing that happens as well is that other victims come forward. They recognise the person. They build up the courage to speak to the police and say, you know, that happened to me as well. I always say to the students, you might be in court and you might feel almost as if you're kind of intruding a bit into someone's life. But actually, you have to think of the greater good that you're doing. The fact that you're telling members of the public what's happening in court, that the courts are functioning properly, that the police are doing their job. You know, we did a case once, a young woman who came to us and she she'd suffered horrendous domestic abuse and her partner had raped her. She came to us and she wanted us to cover the case and she also wanted to be named. So obviously, if you're a victim of a sexual attack, you get lifelong anonymity, but you can waive that in writing. And she said, I want to do it. I want to be named. I want other women to know that there's a way out. And she'd done that with the help of a police liaison officer as well, who wanted to help her and wanted other women to come forward as well. So you do feel as if you're kind of playing a part in something bigger, I suppose. Oh, thank you, Polly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. So that's it for episode 46. Liz and I will be at court, as we said, waiting for the jury to reach their verdicts. We've no idea how long that'll take, but we'll bring you their decision as soon as it happens. You can give us a rating and you can share the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or follow me at Radio Caroline. You can also follow me on Twitter at Liz Hull. Or please do send us an email at the trial of Lucy Letby at gmail.com. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash 
Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is everything I know about me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again, because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. And ashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah, I remember that being really stressful. Everything I Know About Me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.